0: Reminded that, you know, we, we would never go without like, you know, feeding our, or, you know, a, a, an animal that we loved, right? On a weekly basis. Why? Because well, we love them and they would die. Uh, but we do that to ourselves spiritually. And, and whether you believe it, understand it or not, we, we, we need to come in person, um and to come to, to bear the burdens together and rejoice together and learn and grow together. Uh, and that's, that's a, a gift. It's a great thing. It really is. Uh, as you're turning back to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're continuing our, our study and looking at this impact of, of submission. Uh, the, the scope of the book of Ephesians is constantly reminding us how we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Um, Jesus has died for us. He's paid the price for our sins. Um, there's a response to that. We are now slaves of righteousness. Uh, we have roles. We have obligations. We have duties. We have spiritual gifts. And so in one way or another, there's, there's a submission to somebody. So there's always uh, submission to each other, but today we come across uh, more more pointedly, Uh, we we see this idea of masters and it it begs the question, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the term master? Um, Is it automatically directly just related to, to slavery? You know, is it automatically directly related to, you know, like American slavery versus kind of historical slavery? Uh, Do you think it's something else? Maybe you think of martial arts, you know, and you have a, a, you know, a sensei or a a master who's, you know, achieved, you know, the kind of the pinnacle of their, their martial art craft. And, and so you call them master. Uh, English trades, you know, originated with the idea of the the apprentice right the young apprentice who knows nothing learns from the master and so in the guild the 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 master would train up uh, the the apprentice or the 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 unknowledgeable one we see it in education all over in education uh, the head of school is known as the headmaster right or we see it in our degrees once you've gone to college and after four years you've graduated, well, then you, you take that next level of, you know, of, of a specific degree, a, a higher level of achievement and you get a master's degree, which is really kind of funny. It's just a matter of reading more books and writing papers on those books and not bouncing your check. And then you get a master's degree. Um, sorry to burst the bubble, but, um, it's not that the process isn't good. It's just that you don't necessarily need that process to become a master in something. Well, what about the idea of the master of the universe? Uh, the college I attended actually changed its name. Uh, changed its name to the Masters College, and now it's the Masters University, and and that was to reflect that that we're here to worship and learn from the master himself the ultimate master not you know a jujitsu king or you know a a scholar but the master of the universe the idea is you know master shouldn't have a like an automatic negative uh, tone to it Uh, although i venture to think it does especially in context as we're reading here in Ephesians and we're reading uh, Ephesians 6 begins with children obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, we see that fathers are not to provoke their children. Then it goes to slaves being obedient to their masters and then the masters um, doing the same thing. And And so what is a master? And this specifically is in relationship to a master and a slave. And so we want to understand that we want to understand the idea of cause the main idea here is rank and, and it is power and authority. Um, a master is in charge. He's by definition, not the servant. Um, the question is, do masters have masters? And do masters have requirements? And the answer to that is emphatically yes. And so today we're going to see three elements of understanding uh, masters. Uh, We want to see the biblical understanding of masters, especially in the Old and the New Testament, just seeing that work together. We want to understand a redemptive, a redemptive understanding of masters, which is pretty interesting. And then finally, the, the requirements of masters. There are requirements. And so part of our background, we just got done last week looking at, and we've studied Slavery, the weeks previous, we've looked at the idea of bond servants and, and just us being servants of the Lord. The establishment of the church itself. The establishment of church. Keep in mind when we're reading the New Testament. Jesus has come, He's 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 gone, and now the church is left. And what we have in God's word are the letters to these, these new churches which really should encourage us, especially as a smaller church, because most of the churches would have been smaller churches. And so they're not like highly organized and they have, you know, like, you know, 50 elders and, you know, a big old giant cathedral. No, I mean, most of these churches are meeting in barns and meeting in, you know, in weird places. And um, we can relate to that. <clears throat> but what we need to understand is, look, there are, there are ways in which... We live the Christian life. We're, we're not just winging it. And so these letters are being written to the churches so they know who Jesus Christ is and they know how you're supposed to live as identifying as one who follows Christ. Ironically, in so many of these, these churches, what we see is this addressing of you know, husbands and wives and children and fathers and slaves and masters. For us, if we were to like communicate with local churches, you, you, you might see something like, okay, well, send us your packet, right? Your, your, your doctrinal statement, your, your beliefs, uh, you know, some of your basic theology. That's kind of what's happening here uh, in, the, in the New Testament church when you're seeing then these churches or these, yeah, these churches, which are also letters, Ephesians, Uh, 1 Peter 2, we see it in Colossians 3 and 4. We see a a repetition of this message. Um, That means it's not an accident. That means it's not a one-off. This is something that was a a real pointed issue in the church. Uh, We all just became Christians. How do we raise our kids? We're still asking that question, right? Uh, we're, We're all new Christians now. Uh, how do we navigate this in our marriage? Well, one of the big issues was was slavery. Why? Because it was so common. So we, again, we look at slavery as like this, this horrible, weird. Just there's there's no way it could be good in any way, shape, or form. But that's just not true, especially during the time of 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 the first century. It's just so common, it's going to be addressed in almost every letter that is sent out. And so we need to understand that we need to understand the, who are these masters and the first element of the masters. We want to make sure that we're, we're biblical about it. We want to make sure we're, we're, we're biblical because it is common uh, when we get started in Matthew one and Matthew one 24, an angel of the Lord comes and and it's like, well, that word Lord there is curios, which is master. And so we see that the angel is, a, is an angel of the master. God is the master. He's referred to as master. We see in Matthew 6.24 that we can't serve two masters, right? Ma- masters, again, being used as, look, we, we all understand masters because we see it every day. And so the, the illustration is you, and you can't serve two. You do the bidding of one master. Um, we see in Romans 6 that, that we as believers are, are referred to as, as slaves. Slaves who are called to obey masters. Slaves who will obey masters. You will either obey your master. In heaven, or you will obey the master of sin. But let's not pretend you are obeying a master. Um, a reminder as we, as we look th- through, through these verses, as we study this, there's no emancipation. There's no biblical emancipation of, of God saying, Look, you got to get rid of this whole system. That's an interesting thing for us to. To think about and consider. Um, Why? Why didn't God just say, you know, in in, Exodus 20, you know, thou shalt not have slaves, masters, are outlawed. But it doesn't. So we need to study and understand this this dynamic. So first I want to look at Exodus 21. Exodus 21, which again bounces right off of Exodus. 20, which is the 10 commandments and Exodus 21 says, now these are the ordinances, which you are set to set before you. If you buy a Hebrew slave. So this is a Jew enslaving a Jew or Hebrew. He shall serve six years, but on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then, then his wife shall go out with him. We see this, this idea of slavery. Uh, Hebrews could enslave other Hebrews. Uh, We're going to see this tie in to, to debt and being poor. It's a limited time. It's a six year period. Uh, That's interesting. And then they go out as free without payment. That should beg a question. Well, We get a better understanding of what this kind of payment is. Verse 5, But if a slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man, then his master shall bring to him God, then he shall bring him to the door of the post, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. And so we see that people enter into this Temporary time period, um, and then they have an opportunity to stay. Why, verse five? Because they love their master. Um, isn't I mean? Think about that. Our 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 whole concept of of slavery, and what you have here is is a whole dynamic of people saying, "Well, I I love my master." In fact, I will willingly stay and so will my wife and kids. Um, we live in an America and our whole history of America and our whole understanding of America is you do everything you possibly can to, as a father to get out of the of a country, to bring your family to freedom, right? You, you come here with nothing. If you have to, you get on that boat and you come over. This is like completely opposite of that idea. No, no, no. We're going to stay right here but kind of the the secret sauce here is there's a there's a love relationship with the master with the master um exodus 21 24 goes on to say and and this is uh last week and i and i didn't have the right verse but an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth a hand for a hand a foot for a fur, foot burn for b- burn wound for wound bruise for bruise. If any man strikes the eye of his male or female slave and destroys it, he shall let him go free on account of his eye, his tooth, his hand, his foot, his burn. Right? And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. See, the slaves had rights and part of that was treat them well. If you, accidentally knocked the tooth out, you got to let them go free. So the idea that you're just like, you know, wreaking havoc on your servant, is really foreign to the, the biblical idea that you're supposed to treat them so very well. If they have entered into this relationship with you, because poor people would, would enter in as indentured servants and and work for seven years and, and build up or people who owed money would volunteer themselves for six or seven years. If they pay it off early, they can leave early. If it took them the full seven years, they could decide "I love my master and stay. In either case, they're to be treated well. The, the, the slaves, the servants have, have rights. Leviticus 22.11 reminds us that, that, that even priests, Uh, can buy slaves. So the men of God are the masters owning slaves. That should give us some insight. Deuteronomy 23, I mentioned last week, uh, Deuteronomy 13, 15, that if you were to find one, they can go free. You You don't turn them in. So when you think of the whole system of American slavery, right? That if a slave escaped and then you turn him back in, uh, that that's not the way that the, the biblical concept of slavery is the idea of kidnapping, kidnapping Deuteronomy 24, 11, that you can't take somebody without their will. So, so slavery again was one of two ways, either by war or by this mutual agreement. And so the rules that we see with the biblical context are the ones by, Which they were agreement. Um, The poor, Leviticus uh, twenty-five. In terms to Leviticus twenty-five, gives us again just kind of some of that deeper insight into this. Leviticus twenty-five, verse thirty-nine. And if any countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, you're the master you shall not subject him to a slave's service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner, he shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. And so again, this idea of, of of slave and servant and master was really more like a hired man. Uh, That's interesting. And then this idea of this year of Jubilee, which, which we'll look into in a a second. Um, so there's, there's going to be this idea of redemption available. Redemption is going to become available even in the middle of you paying your slave debt. Um, that's interesting. So the first element of understanding of masters is, again, just having this biblical understanding that that slavery did exist. It was a part of the culture. God did not choose to change it immediately. By the way, we see this throughout Scripture. God doesn't generally, just like one big broad stroke, change culture. God is slow to, to, to change these things. Which should give us a little bit of an insight of his, his working even with us? Right? We want everything now. We want everything today, yesterday. Maybe God, you know, let's, it, lets it just kind of marinate a little bit. Maybe, maybe his long-suffering and patience with us individually as we navigate and don't do everything right, his patience with us is we have to be patient with each other. Uh, God just doesn't just, just doesn't move impulsively. He he's he's slow with people, he's slow with society. And keep in mind, it's sin that destroys. It's sin that, in, that destroys uh, these things that are set up. It, it's it's bad master doing bad things to his servant that, that would destroy this system. Because in this system, it's a way for poor people to live, eat, and survive for poor people to pay their debt, not for masters to abuse them. Okay. But sin and sinful masters and men who uh, abuse their power uh, wreck that. It's the same thing in a marriage. A marriage is beautiful. Marriage has, has roles, but, but, but a person who abuses that role undermines the marriage, the biblical form of marriage, same thing in parenting. So the second element we see here is, is there's there's a, a redemptive understanding with masters. Staying in Leviticus twenty-five, uh, starting at verse forty-seven, this is fascinating. It's still in the context of slavery. Now, it, if The means of a stranger or a sojourner with you becomes sufficient and the countrymen of yours become so poor with regard to him as to sell himself to a stranger who is sojourning with you or his descendants of a stranger's family. Then he shall have redemption right. After he has been sold, one of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or one of his blood relatives from his family may redeem him Or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. So notice the language that we're seeing here. Slavery and redemption. As Christians, we use the phrase redemption a lot, right? That's a powerful meaning. It's a beautiful meaning. What are we redeemed from? We are redeemed from our sin. The wages of sin, Romans 6, 23 is death. So we have spent, right? Our our allotment of our money. We're we're out. We've, we've done so much sin that we we couldn't even begin to pay it off ourselves. We need somebody else to make that payment. our sin. That's what we call redemption. That comes from this concept of a slave or poor person could find themselves in this pinch and say, look, I'm going to sell myself into slavery. Now, at any time, his uncle, his uncle's son, he himself could pay that price, pay it off, and then be set free. It's like the songs we were singing, and can it be. So again, you have to put yourself, you're, you're a slave, your whole family's in in slavery now because you have a debt and you're in year one of a seven year commitment and uncle Ted comes around and writes the check. Boom. You're set free. You have been redeemed, paid for, We get the whole concept of redemption from slavery. Our whole understanding of redemption comes from from this idea of slavery. Uh, Verse 50. He then with his purchaser shall calculate from the year when he sold himself to him up to the year of Jubilee. And the price of his sale shall correspond to the number of years. It is like the days of a hired man that he shall be with him. If there are still many years he shall refund part of his purchase price in proportion to them for his own redemption. And if few years remain until the year of Jubilee he shall so calculate with him in proportion to his years, he is to refund the amount for his redemption. Like a hired Like a man hired year by year, he shall be served, shall be with him, he shall not rule over him with severity in your sight. The master is not to to be harsh. Even if he is not redeemed by these means, he shall still go out in the year of Jubilee. He and his sons with him. For the sons of Israel are my servants. Notice that shift there. The sons of Israel are my servants. Who's the master? God is the master. If slavery was this worst thing you could ever think of concept, why would God call himself a master? That that doesn't make any sense. Um, But here's God positioning himself as the master. And from this point forward, we refer to God as the master. And the sons of Israel are his servants, are his slaves. The sons of Israel, not only God's children, they're also his slaves. It's interesting. They're my servants whom I brought out of the land of of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So right here in a few verses, we see this idea of redemption, that not only can these people be redeemed early by an uncle, but there's this other thing, which is, which, which is, it's, it's a typology and a picture of something that's, that's going to come later in the future. And it's this idea of the year of Jubilee. What is the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee is this idea of, you know what? You haven't paid your debt yet. Uncle Ted didn't pay your debt yet, but it's the year of Jubilee. You're set free anyway, paid. What? Why? Just because? The year of Jubilee was, was every on the 15th year, every 15 year this would roll into place and you know what? everything was reset. Could you imagine? Could you imagine that, that you're in year again, you're in year three. You can't pay. You have no uncle Ted. Nobody's coming, but you know what's coming? Hope, hope two years from now, is the year of Jubilee and they're going to let me free with my family. That that's grace. That's that's mercy. That's a forgiveness of debt, a redemption that is totally undeserved, unmerited, unearned. That's the gospel of grace. That's the picture of grace. And we see this throughout scripture that, that God just puts these little, these, these, uh, this plan of redemption, that is put in place in the Old Testament, why is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ? That you know what? You're not going to have to wait for the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is today. You want to be redeemed for your sin? Bow the knee before the throne of Christ today. And He will redeem you. He writes the check with His blood. What an amazing picture for us to understand when we think of this idea of, of slavery. Because again, as we come into this, it, it's almost impossible for us to just not turn off, right? It's like, what? We're going to go over rules and regulations about slavery and <coughs> masters? Could it be that there's there's something that we just don't completely have our arms wrapped around? And And yes, that is spiritual redemption. So we go back to Romans 6 again and it takes on a, a a new meaning. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin and grace that that uh, in sin that grace may increase? What if you could sin all the time and be redeemed? What what if you can go out and have debts all over town and never have to pay them yourself? Well, uh, maybe we should should do it more, right? So, the, so that God's grace would increase. God would be you know just, just glorified. May it never be. No, we don't keep on doing the same thing over again. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through the baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we walk in a newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You you were in bondage to the master. Your master is Satan. This is, you know, forgive me, but this is Star Wars. This is Anakin clearly knowing he is bowing the knee to the master who is not the good Jedi, this is the evil one. And so, no more. You're no longer a slave, a servant to the evil one, which means you're no longer a slave to sin. For he who has died freed us from sin. Jesus who died redeemed us and paid the price for our sin. Now, if we had died with Christ, we also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on... Presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Your body is now to glorify God, whether you eat or drink, whatever it is you do, do it for the glory of God. You are now a slave to someone else. Verse 14, for sin shall not be Master over you. Sin personified itself is not your master. You're not under the law. You are under grace. By law, you're dead. By grace, it's been paid. You've been redeemed. Well, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law? (laughs) You know what? If I keep doing it, they'll keep on forgiving me um may it never be do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience you are slaves to the one whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or to obedience resulting in righteousness who is your master show me your fruit who are you obeying it's your fruit is not your your earning your salvation. The redemption payment's been made. You've been set free. You walk out the door. Which way do you go? Are you like a dog that returns to its vomit? Or do you now follow your new master by obeying righteousness? Verse 17, But thanks be to God, though you were past tense slaves of sin, you now, present, present future, became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And our Master is the Master in heaven. And this idea of, of redemption and this idea of master and slave is something not for us to just you know, shut our ears and no. It's for us to fully... Completely comprehensively understand that we are not of our own, we have a master. We have a master. Um, and that's, again, something that we, we struggle with. Romans 8:2 says Christ, Christ. It's Christ who redeems us and sets us free. Same things repeated in Galatians 5. Colossians. 2, 13 through 14 says the debt of sin we owe is paid on the cross. It's paid for on the cross. Again, Hebrews 4, 9 through 10. So we're no longer in that bondage. We're no longer the slave that has to work day after day, hour after hour, year after year to pay his debt. No, we don't have that bondage as slaves. We're now set free. We're set free. And so the end result is freedom from that, that bondage. Well, again, <clears throat> if you had a good master, if you had a righteous master, if you had a master that that cared for you, what would you do? Would you put your ear on the doorpost? And become a bondservant for that master? Or would you just skip along your merry way? You would become that bondservant. There would be a line out the door to be in that master's household. To this day, there would be a line out the door. And so it's important for us to understand that a good master, a great master, has a redemptive peace in there. Think about this. The whole time you're an indentured servant, the relationship between master and servants, the master knows someday you're leaving a good master gets you ready and prepared for that day. He has your best interest at heart Or well, the third element is understanding the requirements. When we go back to Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six and our anchor here is, is um, verse Verse 8, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Remember, the slave is commanded to be obedient to the Lord or to, to the master. Verse 5 Slaves are to be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling to the Lord, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. So, slaves are to be sincere and serve their masters, not by the way of eye service or just men pleasing. They're, they're not yes men, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, rendering service as to the Lord, not as to man. The, the servants aren't serving men. They're serving the Lord. Now notice this twist, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, slave and master, This he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. God doesn't care whether you're slave or free. That's not the point. Serve him. Work as unto the Lord. So masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. Here's a a, an instant reminder to masters. Remember, you're not really a master. I've given you a little belt, a little trinket here, giving you a degree. I'm the master. Everyone has a master, and I am the master. So, do to that slave as unto me. It's a reversal. It's this, the same concept that we've been studying in Ephesians 5, where wives, be, w- wives are subject to their own husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands are, are to be the head of their wives as Christ was the head of the church. Masters are to, to be to the slaves as the slaves are to be the masters. It's a relationship as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Um, well, Colossians 4 gives us kind of a, a deeper insight into this. Here's a parallel passage of this. Colossians 4, verse 1. And we see four real requirements. Four requirements that masters must have with with the uh, slaves. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. Justice and fairness. Masters are to be righteous. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Legally, do the right thing. Legally, be fair. Remember, fair and just aren't always the same thing, right? Fairness is like a, a, another step. Okay, maybe you have a legal right to this, but be fair. Is that fair? Knowing that you too have a master in heaven. In the back of your mind, you're supposed to remember as you're dealing with your servant, um, my foreman is watching. Okay, the, the, the video camera, right? It's that sees every corner of the office, and you know every everything that's going on, and they can hit rewind and record. Okay, my foreman sees it all. The master in heaven, in heaven, he sees you. So be just, be fair. Now notice this. This is beautiful. This is in the context. I've got this highlighted. In, in my highlight, it's I, I've I, I have verse two and verse four highlighted, but not the other verses. And, and you know, as I look, as you look, as I look at it, staring down, it's like, yeah, I thought, oh yeah, this is good, good reminder to me. I should. But in the context, it's to a master in his relationship with a slave. Masters, devote yourselves to prayer. Well, that's pretty intimate. That's pretty caring, keeping alert in with an attitude of Thanksgiving. Think about that for a second. You're a master, stay in prayer and be thankful about what you're a master. Did you understand your position in society? You're the master, you have slaves. You think being a business owner is cool and having employees. What about a master? And are you thankful for that? You think that's by accident that you're the master and not the slave? You need to check yourself, master, because I'm the master, and be thankful that you're the one in charge remind yourself of that by being devoted to prayer. Praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. What is happening here? The idea here is, master, you're supposed to have a relationship with your servant. You're supposed to have an attitude with them that as you are working together, serving together, it actually opens up an opportunity for the word. This is ministry. This is an evangelistic mission. Is that, I mean, we talk about different types of Christian missions all the time. I can be a wood chopper for Christ. I can go to Mexico for Christ and build homes. I can run a camp. I can run a school. There's all these different kinds of things that you can do to do what? Ultimately open up the word. Open up an opportunity for the word. This relationship is so good that actually it opens up an opportunity for the gospel. Because of the way they interact together, the the slave works as, uh, you know, doesn't just give lip service, you know, was working as under the Lord and the master is, is in kind, fair and just. This is incredible. It, it kind of reminds me of the elder and the good reputation outside of the church, right? They have such a good reputation, such a good way of living that it actually opens up an opportunity to preach the gospel. Let your speech always be with grace. So so first they're to grant justice and fairness. They're to be devoted spiritually to the slave. They're to conduct themselves with wisdom, verse 5, towards the outsiders, making the most of this opportunity. This is an opportunity. And then their speech is to be seasoned with grace. Always, always, as it were, with salt. What what does salt do? Salt enhances the meal, right? It makes it better. So even the, the, the way you... You talk. Makes it better so that you may know how you should respond in, in person. This, this, is, this is fascinating. Go back home and, and meditate on this even more that masters are to have this kind of relationships with, with their servants. Masters are to, to treat their servants understanding that God is watching them to treat them well, to treat them justly, fairly, spiritually be invested with them in wisdom, their speech. As we saw in the old Testament, there's not to be any harshness, any mistreatment. They should treat them so well. The master should treat them so well that that the, the servant would be willing to stay. Now think about this in a, in a modern context, think about it in the context of of employer-employee. We, we've we've gone through many years now, where maybe you had the old Ford Motor Company, and you went, and you worked from then, you know, cradle to grave, and they loved the company, and you had the pension, and 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 you know, you just you just loved it, right? Could you imagine, or maybe it's Boeing, right now at year twenty-five in Boeing, right about the time, you know all right, pension, this and that. You're like, no, 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 no. I want to work for free and you tell me what to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go right there on the post, get my little bond servant ring. That's we can't even come close to comprehending that kind of, but imagine how good Boeing must be for them to have people that would want to do that. Right? So for a master, this this is not authoritarian. This is not, you know, abuse. Th- this is, quite frankly, something that is hard for us to even imagine that the Master would be so good. So good. It reminded me of, as I was studying again of, of you know, just some verses. And one of the verses that popped into my head was, and we don't have time for it, but was the idea of "Too much is given, much is required." You guys know that, right? What's that from? Not Spider-Man. Okay? That's not from Spider-Man. It's Luke 12:48. The irony of that is, as I went and was reading the context and, and reading about it, and like I said, there's just way too much here. But the context of "too much is given, much is required" is in the context of a slave and a master. And it's 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 very fascinating. But the idea then again is, is when the when the when the master goes away and the slave is given that responsibility, to much is given, much is required. The interesting thing here is, is that if the master goes away and comes back and the slave isn't doing what he's supposed to do and is being abusive to the other slaves. Then he is to cut him into pieces, and assign him in a place with unbelievers. So, if there's any idea that a master should ever kind of, you know, abuse and not treat others well, it's like that should give them some cause. Because if the master comes and things aren't going the way he thinks they should go, um, there's repercussions. <laughs> So we see that, again, in, in our understanding of the church and our understanding of how we live together in submission, we see children and fathers and slaves. It really doesn't matter because we are all in service to Christ, whether you're a child, whether you're a father, whether you're a slave, whether you're a servant. you, you see the scope here that that... We're trying to go from, from child to parent, from slave to master. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we serve Christ and we are servants to Christ, whether you're a child or whether you're an a, a, a father or, or a mother, whether you're a servant or whether you're a slave. And so that's the mindset and the mentality that as we fast forward to 2023, that's how we live. This is how we live in an equal submission to each other, but really understanding that we're following the Lord. And so it doesn't matter what's happening in the local government. It doesn't matter what's happening at your job. It doesn't matter. You know, that things aren't perfect in your home. You know why? Cause they won't be because it's filled with sinners. So get your focus on the Lord. And when you're in the better position, you do what's right. That's all you can do. All you can do is control your side of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reminder.